This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And welcome back to an episode of the Clue Jets podcast. We host Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. No Jets football today. Obviously, they played on Thursday, so we figured why not drop the podcast on a Sunday so you can get your Jets fix. Michael, we have a big mailbag today. Uh, I'm going to be talking about a lot of stuff. Obviously, most of it's focused on Indianapolis and then looking ahead to next week. What do the Jets do at quarterback? They obviously they made a big trade this week um, to upgrade the right guard spot. So there's a lot to talk about. But Michael, first, your initial reaction to, to Thursday night's debacle, mostly down, but there were some ups, especially in the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, the first reaction is just it's really disappointing that they couldn't follow up such an exciting and positive game on Sunday with at least a competitive effort because regardless of the final score, this was a blowout and it was embarrassing. And just the way they got beaten on defense was, you know, very physically based. It was not too schematic. It's just, they're getting manhandled and destroyed. So it was, it was very hard to watch, but it's disappointing. They couldn't do that. But at the same time on offense for the second straight game, they're very good. And I know they racked up a lot of those points and yards in the fourth quarter and the second half and the game is over, but the Colts are playing straight up defense before, all the way up until the last drive, other than the last drive, the last drive, they definitely started to play off. But before that, you know, it was legitimate production. So with the second straight game, the offense with another new quarterback was, you know, firing on all cylinders. And that is an enormous positive going forward. So defensively, ultimately, this was about as bad of a performance, probably worse than the Patriots game, but, you know, comparably bad. Um, But offensively, there are a lot of really good things going on. What, What makes you say it's worse than the Patriots game? Would you say it was worse? Well, I mean, in one they had, they you know allowed fifty four points, in the other one they allowed forty five points. So from that perspective, it's a bit of an improvement. I guess it's worse because the offense actually was doing something. You know, they they scored thirty points. They could have scored thirty seven if they didn't throw the the red zone interception at the end. So I mean, that's enough points to win in this league. So I, I from that argument, but pure defense. You know what? Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna waffle here a little bit i'm gonna agree with you just because mosley and jared davis both played at least the new england game you could excuse the fact that they had no veteran inside linebackers but yeah both horrific performances and i and you made a a point right at the start of that where you said um you know coming off a big win and it's disappointing i'm making a vow right now that for the rest of the season i'm not gonna fall for it i'm not i every time the jets win a big game go back to the titans game then falling into atlanta or two weeks ago in cincinnati and then playing indianapolis they win a big game, maybe a big upset. You're feeling good about the team. Everything's rolling. This team looks like, hey, maybe they string together some wins. They can they can have a winning season. Hey, maybe they even push into the playoffs. I'm not saying that was my thought process, but I was pretty confident going into Indianapolis. Um, and it just, I feel, and I tweeted this out, I feel like Charlie Brown every time trying to kick the football, knowing that Lucy's going to pull it. Like, I know the Jets are going to let me down because they always do. 
And then yet every time I come into the games excited and hyped and optimistic. So for the rest of the season, no matter how many games they string together, I'm not getting excited or hyped up or optimistic about the next week. I think you can be optimistic about the future, but game to game, this team is not ready. And I think that was, that's an important step mentally um, to take, but it's still, like you said, there were still some positives. And I think overall, when you're able to, you know, look at the season as a whole, you and I were talking about this earlier, there's a lot of positives to be happy about and a lot of stuff that we expected. Um, obviously you, you were telling me actually right before we started recording that you feel like even though they lost and it was embarrassing in prime time, that in some ways it was the best case scenario um, when it comes to the QB controversy and the floor improving. Can you just kind of explain that point? Cause I think some fans might hear that uh, and just think you're, you're being blindly optimistic, but you did make a, a convincing argument. I actually do think in some ways that it can be considered a best case scenario, sort of a necessary evil to move forward because I think when you unpack it, like I think the fact that Johnson was able to come in and produce just as effectively as Mike White was is valuable information for us to know now regarding like, okay, this scheme, the way LaFleur is running it, the players they have in this offense at skill positions, even on the offensive line, they're starting to get it going a little bit and pass protection. They struggle in this game, but whatever run blocking is better. It was okay. Um, but we're seeing we've seen two backup quarterbacks, 35 year old journeyman and a random backup who's a fifth year, a fifth round pick hey, three years hey, ago. Hey, hey, don't disrespect Mike White like that. We're going to do that. I'm disrespecting him. He threw a pick six in the first drive. It was dropped. Hey, we've seen these... took ownership of that, by the way. The floor said so he got seen... in late and he was and he should have changed it, but he didn't have time. So. All right. I appreciate that, Mike. Mike LaFleur, but Mike White, he's he's Mike White. But we saw two backup quarterbacks come in and lead this offense to success that the Jets flat out have never done before back-to-back games with over 30 first downs they've never done that and that's really important to know and I think the fact that the defense in the same game played bad enough to lose even though the offense was as good as it was now takes away that momentum takes away that pressure in Zach Wilson for when he comes back that you know he's got to keep a winning streak going that was started by two other quarterbacks or one other quarterback if White stayed healthy Um, and then that's another part of it not that I'd wish injury. And of course I hated it when it happened. It was not fun. And it's terrible that this always happens to us, but, and to Mike white, of course, but if Mike white played the whole game and produced the same way that Josh Johnson did, then we'd still be giving him all the credit and be like, Oh, is Mike white the franchise quarterback and all this, but to see Johnson come in and do the same thing. Now the focus shifts towards, okay, this offense is really good instead of, you know, Mike white is great. And not to take away from him because he was great against the Bengals. But I think now it, we're in a spot where you can feel confident about LaFleur, this entire offense, and Zach Wilson can come in with less pressure because they lost this game. And we know now what this offense should look like when it's operating on all cylinders. And I think to see two guys come in and do that is even more valuable for him to, be, for him to see, okay, this is how this offense should be run. We lost this game. You come, in, you come back with no pressure if he's healthy against the, uh, for the Bills game. Um, so I think in these, you know, ways, is this the 40 thinking I had going into the game? Did I want all this to happen? No, I would like them to just have one for white to have stayed healthy, played great again. But I think the when you unpack it in that way and you think about the number one re, um, goal for the season, which was Zach Wilson's development, it is very positive the way this game played out. Yeah, nobody rationalizes quite like you, Michael, but I will disagree with one point you said. <laughs> You said that there's no pressure on Zach Wilson now. 
very much. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say none. I would say less. I get you're right. There's slightly less because you don't have to really worry about the Mike White chance as much. But I guarantee if he plays wrong that, you know, wrong, if he plays poorly, those Mike White chance are going to come in regardless. I think the pressure is now, OK, we've seen two. I'm going to use your words here. Journeyman guys come in and run the offense to a historically productive level for this team. I mean, those are two of the best performances offensively, at least that we've seen out of the Jets in a long, long time. If he comes in, especially against the number one defense at home against Buffalo, and he can't operate it, none of the nuance and context of that will matter or the fact that he's a rookie and we kind of expected these ups and downs. The national media is going to say Zach Wilson is the problem. So that's why there's there's more pressure on him. I guess it's like there's less um, positive Mike White energy and let's bench him and put Mike White in, but it's going to be more negative Zach Wilson energy if he doesn't play well, is my thinking. And that kind of leads us, we have a few mailbag questions about this, but I wanted to get your thoughts ahead of it because it's probably the biggest topic surrounding this team. What do you do on Sunday? I mean, if both guys, and according to LaFleur, it seems like both guys are going to be able to practice this week. That doesn't necessarily mean they'll be full participants or that they're fully healthy, but let's just say both guys equal level of health. Who are you playing and who do you think the Jets will play and why? If Zach Wilson is 100% healthy, and not from our perspective, from their perspective, evaluating him, knowing his capabilities. If he's 100%, I think he has to start against the Bills. And I'm going to give you full credit for this point. I did not come up with this. This was all you. You told me this before. Yeah, I'm um, the real Michael recording. Um, this is you, but this is a great point. If the locker room knows what's going on, they see him practicing. They know how healthy he is. They know his capabilities. If your starting quarterback was healthy, only lost a job because he got injured, and he doesn't play because – we're playing the bills and the bills are good or he doesn't play because you know, you're benching him for white or Johnson, even after you lost the last game, even though they played well, it, that's not a great message to the locker room. For me, that's a lack of confidence. You're showing Wilson a lack of constant confidence in him. And you're showing that to the rest of the team that you don't fully trust him. If he's hundred percent healthy and you can't put him out there. Um, and then in terms of the opponent quality, you know, like playing the bills, best defense in the league, elite team, uh, I just don't think it should matter. If he were fully healthy, he'd be playing this game. We wouldn't be pulling him out to avoid the Bills. So why should we do that now? And there's no guarantee that if you put him out against the Dolphins the next game that it's necessarily going to be this soft, easy schedule for him to play well against because guess what? He played the Falcons, and he played very bad against them, and their defense is horrible. Um, So there's no guarantee that he plays well just because you save him for easier defenses. Um, and, you know, being franchise quarterback is about these challenges. I know he's a rookie and you want to help him out as much as possible to ease him in, but this is a division rival who you're going to play at the end of the season as well and twice a year going forward. Get used to them. Get used to playing and get to seeing what that defense throws at you, what it's like to face them, because that team is not going to change at all for the foreseeable future. So um, I think it's important for him to face these challenges, and I don't think it's a good mentality if your quarterback is 100% healthy, to just avoid um, a very good team just because that team is good and you don't trust them to face them. So that's how I see it. But, you know, if you're not 100% sure, if you're like, there's still a little bit of risk, we think you can get a little bit better, then by all means, save him for the next game. But if he's 100%, he should go. Well, I don't think he's going to be 100%. I mean, he did just sprain his PCL and the recovery was two to four weeks, but some people even say four to six weeks. Uh, and even when Sala was referring to to the injury, I think it was just a few days ago, he, you know, he referred to it as four-week injury, um, which maybe gives you a thought process into what they might do this week. 
I agree with you. I, I mean, the point about the locker room, even just Zach Wilson himself, I mean, he knows that if he can go or not. And if you're going to tell him that he can't, then he knows there's a bit of a lack of confidence. I do understand, though, wanting to protect him. Um, and they did say when they drafted him, we're going to do everything to uplift you. And it's like if you throw him out there at home against the best defense and he doesn't play well, which in our, he probably shouldn't play but what well. What if I mean, he comes out against the Dolphins and doesn't play well against a one-win team? Isn't that worse? It's still bad, but I just think the optics of going from Mike White, great game, Josh Johnson, pretty good game. And then, you know, against two defenses in Cincinnati. And look, Cincinnati is no slouch and Indianapolis isn't either. But the Bills division rival at home, number one defense. I agree with you. I, I think he I think he probably plays, but I do think there is that back door there that it's like he's not going to be 100 percent healthy. And maybe ignoring the opponent, ignoring all the, the situation. Maybe it is wise to just let him sit for another week just to heal that knee completely. It wouldn't surprise me if Mike White um, starts, but I think the competitor in Zach Wilson uh, is going to come out, and I think I think he's going to push to play. Um, yeah, I, I just think whenever he's 100%, he should go. If that's this week, if that's next week, even two weeks, then he should go. I just don't think opponent quality or how well Mike White is playing, even if, you know, say they beat the Bills with Mike White, um, I just think whenever Wilson's healthy, he should be back. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing that's going to help him out too is first of all, he has John Beck, who is personal quarterback coach. He's now on the sidelines. Obviously the Jets traded for Joe Flacco, which in retrospect doesn't look great, but hell, maybe you can make him useful by just being that veteran presence for Zach on the sideline. And then they got Booth LaFleur. They actually have a four to four, you know, so a one-to-one quarterback to quarterback coach ratio, if you lump LaFleur in there as well. So I think it's a nice situation for him when he comes back and a better one. Um, so yeah, I, I think he probably plays, but it wouldn't surprise me if they if they hold him out there. Um, and also, you know, we're talking about Zach Wilson's health. We don't know about Mike White. I mean, he was having trouble gripping the football. They say it's you know he started to get feeling back in it in the fourth quarter. So maybe it was just like a stinger or some sort of nerve bruise that's going to heal. But you know, if they're both equally kind of healthy, then I think you do go with Zach Wilson. But it's going to be quite the storyline to watch, especially if he doesn't play well. The, the flip side is though, if he comes in after watching the the Mike White and Josh Johnson take the checkdowns when they're there in timing and take the shots when they're there more so Josh Johnson, you know, he, he's had that opportunity to sit back and watch these guys for two weeks. So maybe he improves on that. And then he comes in and looks, if he plays well, I'm not saying they're going to beat the bills, but if he just puts up a solid showing, that's, you know, his stock is going to rise. Um, let's just hop right into the mailbag. Um, first one from at Tim ring jr. You know, everybody wants to talk about the quarterbacks, but I think this is the biggest problem with this team after last week, he says, uh, who is more to blame for issues with the run and short pass screen game problems all season, the defensive line or the linebackers, Michael, the jets got absolutely shredded on these concepts on Thursday. Do you have any confidence that they're going to fix them? And, and like John, or like Tim says, who's more to blame. I, I think we can definitely put a lot of blame on both of those units, but I think the corners in this Colts game, especially were both in the run game and screen game were a pretty big part of it. I think we saw a lot of, bad angles at the second level from Bryce Hall, um, from Brandon Eccles. Carter the second has been really good this season in this area, you know, tackling underneath stuff. Um, those two guys, I would think, have had their issues in, in that area. Hall's been, I think, good in coverage, solid overall, but some issues in that area. But, I mean, the D-line in terms of the screens and the short passes, I, I mean, I don't know if you can blame them for that because I'm not sure what they're supposed to do about screen passes, but – the linebackers and safeties have both been huge, but I think there's also coaching. I think the jets are just getting caught losing the chess match very frequently. Cause a lot of these situations where they're getting beat, 
yes, guys aren't making plays, but how many times have we seen screen plays where the ball carrier is in space and there's one blocker against one defender? That's a tough play to make. And the Jets get caught in that situation a lot because teams kind of have an anticipation of when the Jets are going to blitz. And that's when they're throwing these screens and they're getting big gains out of it. So I would put a pretty even amount of blame on both the coaching and the execution here because I think the Jets in terms of the play calling defensively have been kind of predictable with the way that they've thrown blitzes out there and teams are exploiting it. Yeah. I mean, I obviously think everybody's to blame. I like the point you brought up about the secondary because look with the defensive line, they are coached to just attack. I mean, it's not like Greg Williams scheme where they're reading gaps and they're, they're hanging back, which is probably why the jets, I mean, look, they got burned on screens last year and the year before that, but not as much as this year. It's because the defensive line is attacking and let's face it. Like you said to me, this is not the defensive line that we are all excited about. There's no Carl Lawson. There's no Bryce Huff. There's no Vinnie Curry. Um, it's not, it's still a good defensive line, but it's not a great game changing defensive line, even though they have great players on it, like Quinn and JFM and, and Foley. Um, so like you said, I think there's some different, you know, obviously those all world players like Quinn and you hope they can sniff those plays out. And he has done that. Um, obviously the linebackers, but I think the big issue, it's not just the corners, it's the safeties because this defense does kind of allow some of the short dink and dunk stuff. It's kind of that bend, but don't break defense. The, the, glory in it is the fact that they're not supposed to allow these big plays it's like okay you can have the five yard stuff our linebackers are going to sniff that out our safeties are going to sniff that out but the problem is is like you're saying they're getting put in these bad spots and their safeties in particular not to flame ashton davis but i mean he's bad he's just he, look he's still technically a rookie if you look at all the games he's played but he's at this point he's had enough experience in game he's taken horrible angles marcus may you know hopefully he heals up after that, that achilles tear but he hasn't been great um, and I think that's a big issue. It's like, yeah, they're getting put in those one-on-one situations specifically with the linebackers, but then the safeties are just taking bad angles. And then all of a sudden a play that could be a big play could be a 12, 15 yard play is now a 50 yard touchdown. And that's what you've seen happen against new England and against, uh, Indianapolis. So I, I think it's coaching. I think, you know, schematically for the defensive line, it kind of takes them out of it, but better linebacker play is expected, but the defensive back play and specifically the safeties, I mean, I, that is going to be an issue all year long, unless, you know, Davis takes a big step or one of these guys who fills in for May, um, you know, really helps out. So I, I think this is something that's going to bother the Jets all all season until they get to the offseason and they can uh, invest in, in the safeties. You know, in fact, I'm going to skip ahead on the mailbag because there was a question about this. Michael from at, uh, you know, this is one of those those ats where they you can't really say it and phonetically it's I-N-G-R-N-M-T-S. I'm not going to try ingredients. He says safety next year. That's his only question. He kept it brief. I like it. Um, what do the Jets do at safety, Michael? Now with the Marcus May situation, can you count on Ashton Davis in any sort of substantial role? Do you try to bring back May? Are you big players in the, the free agency market or even the draft? You know, obviously the Jets traded away a great safety for a bunch of draft picks. If the Jets take a safety high like Kyle Hamilton, that might cause some negative energy what are you what are your thoughts on what they do at safety because i think safety is defense's biggest problem right now yeah it's starting to look more and more like a primary the primary uh, issue on defense but um i mean with marcus may i think now they might be able to get him at the price that they wanted to with his injury his declined play this year um his age but do you want to pay him that (laughs) that, that's the question that i was going to get you next because i think you can get him at that price but is he even a player that you want at that price the way he played this year because i don't think he was good i think 
like you said, he had a huge part of their issues with uh, screens this season and various other things. So I don't know if you even consider him part of the solution, bringing back. I really don't. So, I mean, they're going to have a lot of cap space. The defensive line is pretty much locked in. Um, you have Mosley linebacker. They're going to need another linebacker. At corner, you have at least two starters, I think. I think you can feel comfortable with Eccles as your second quarterback corner if you have to, but you can upgrade him as well. But So I think they do have a chance to focus in on safety and really invest in it to upgrade it. Because right now, Ashton Davis, he's not a starter at all. We still got nine games left for him to earn that. But as of right now, he's not close to that point. So uh, as of right now, I think they should definitely be aggressive. You mentioned, you know, going after safety early. Um, absolutely, I think they can consider that the way things are looking. Uh, obviously, there are bigger needs in offense, tight end and guard, but they got two first, they got an early second. So we'll, we'll see seconds. what happens. Uh, two seconds. So we'll see what happens. I think they definitely can focus on safety as a prime need next year because in this defense, it is starting to look like a big need. If you're going to play as aggressive as they play, teams are going to dump the ball off against you. They're going to isolate those safeties and they got to make plays. And this year they, they really haven't. So it is an important need. Yeah. And the other thing is like, you know, for the amount of assets that Joe Douglas had last year, he has even more this year with less needs to fill. So I think safety is something that they're going to be aggressive at Um, outside of, I guess, you know, last year you have the number two pick, hopefully not The, the jets probably won't have that high of a pick, but they probably will have a, late top 10 early teens type pick and the Seahawks aren't looking good. And then you got the two seconds, you have a third this year and you got three fourths. So they have plenty of assets in the draft to address multiple needs. And I think safety um, is going to be one of them. Maybe they double down there um, just considering how Ashton Davis is playing. And I think with Davis, you know, his long-term future, look, I, they're going to be able to move him around a little bit. I mean, they can try him in different roles now that May is out. Um, he, he'll have a chance to impress. Um, he is still only a few weeks out from returning to football after that injury. So Maybe there's a chance for him. He did force two fumbles. Um, PFF gave him the highest rated grade for any Jets defender. That tells you all you need to know about PFF right now. Um, but after that, I mean, I he, think he did force two fumbles and he, he had forced a really two fumbles, good... but I will say his awareness on them to pick up the, like a lot of times, if a guy forces a fumble, you can't blame him always for not getting the recovery, but he was right there. I mean, and he didn't, I don't know. If you watch both of them, he had an opportunity to stick his hand in there and try to fight for the ball. And, and there was honestly. that one tackle early in the game. Uh, he had a really good open field tackle that right, but he took a possible touchdown. Terrible angle on that Jonathan Taylor touchdown. Yeah, uh, and a few bad angles, and you know, he's cl- clearly been a underwhelming Joe Douglas pick so far. And maybe his long term, you know, look, we talk about the draft, and you're not going to hit on every player. If Ashton Davis can carve himself out a role in this team as a third safety and a great special teamer, that's not an, a loss of a pick. I mean, obviously, it's not amazing you didn't hit it out of the park but if he can turn into a contributor which i think he still can i don't think he's god awful uh, i just think right now he's overloaded he's overloaded and maybe that changes with with more reps this season but i think going into next year if things don't get much better i think you can count on him to be your third safety and a special teamer but he should not be a starter uh let's stick with the defense i like these defensive questions before we get into all the offensive drama from at boap01 can we get a mid-season defensive line player ranking i like this question michael this is right up your alley so let's give you i guess we'll both do it but just to lay out the ground rules we're going to cut off carl lawson for now and we'll leave out Vinny curry bryce off he's played this season so out of everybody who's played this year the main contributors so i guess that's obviously jfm quinnon foley huff nathan shepherd uh shack lawson 
Um, is there anybody else that I'm completely throwing out? I mean, I guess Jonathan Marshall's on the team. Uh, uh, was it Tim Ward, right? He's on the team as well. Yeah. Um, are those, are those everybody? I'm, I'm feel like I'm forgetting. Did you somebody. say Zuniga? Zuniga. That's who it was. I was forgetting about Zuniga. Okay. So go. out of those nine guys, how would you rank them? Um, mid season right now. So I guess going from the top, number one is between two guys for me, either Quinnen or Foley. Um, obviously Quinnen's a better player, but and Foley's had a really nice season because I feel like he's stopped the run well and he's been rushing the passer pretty well, um, more than a guy in his role should be. Um, and Quinnen has Quinnen before this last game, I'd probably say Quinnen without a doubt, but. You know, this was a game where they needed him to step up against Quentin Nelson, and he had zero pressures, so it was a quiet game for him. Um, I, I, I'll go with Quentin. I think he's had an underrated season. The sacks are there. You know, he's not getting a sack every single game, but almost nobody does that. His average is still, in terms of sacks per game, is still up there for defensive tackles. The pressures are up there. Um, he got the run stops up this past game. He's the only one making plays against the run. He had that great play. Um, where he chased down Taylor on the outside, tripped him up. That was a potential touchdown that he saved. Um, so I'll go with Quinn at number one, fully number two. Um, I'll go with John Franklin Myers third. I think still his season overall to this point has been good. But since the bye week, he's definitely gone downhill a little bit. I wouldn't say since the contract. Yeah, he, he did have some good plays at the end of this game. He got the sack. He had the third down yeah. stuff, or the fourth down stuff on the goal line. Uh, Wentz's last throw, he, he hit him. So, you know. But I know what you mean. There's been since signing the contract, we haven't really seen the the JFM that we got in the Titans game. Yeah, well, I would, the Falcons game he was really good, which was the first game after the contract. So okay, that's a promising thing. But the three games since the bye week definitely more quiet. Um, and I think ultimately long term, I think he should be at three tech. I don't think Edge is the best place to use him. It's great that he can be good there. That like the fact that you know any player who can, any player who can play. Th- you know, two different positions effectively like that is awesome versatility. It's part of what makes him worth that contract. But I think to get the absolute most out of him, he needs to be on the inside. And I don't think that can happen this year with Rankins in there. They don't have edge rushers right now with Huff out um, and Carl Lawson and no Curry. But next year when Lawson comes back, you know, when Huff is back, maybe you add another edge, maybe let go of Rankins. I think they need to get him back to three tech because in there, his quickness is just, Guards cannot hang with him. Last year, they couldn't. Um, and on the edge this year, you know, he's in the run game solid because he's very big for tight ends to handle, and he's good enough technique to win around the edge, but he just doesn't have the bend to, you know, be able to create, um, you know, splashy plays out of those wins, to be able to bend the corner and get into the pocket. Um, and teams exploit him a lot. They'll run boots in his direction, and the, the quarterback will be able to get out to the edge and make plays because he can't, he's just too big out there to uh, be able to hang with those, hang with the quarterback and hang with open field plays in that way. So I think on the inside, he is, is the best fit for him long term, but he's still been good this year, but he is on in a slump right now and he needs to break out of it um, and the, or else he'll, it won't be a good season. Right. Um, beyond that, I would say those have been only three good players in the defensive line. I no think rank it. Other than Huff, I, I did forget about Huff because he was out. I put Huff fourth. He's been good. They miss him a lot the past two games. Um, just the way he's able to win off the edge. Um, he hasn't made a ton of splashy plays, but his wins have been very frequent, and they 
make a lot of positive impact. Run game, he can get better, but um, his pass rushing has been very impressive. Um, those have been the only four good players to me. I think Sheldon Rankins makes very splashy plays every now and then, but the consistency in terms of his pressure rate is well below average and well below what he usually does. And his run defense, I think, has been bad, frankly. I think a lot of the big run plays we've seen this year, he is the focal point in a lot of them. He's getting moved off the ball um, pretty easily. Um, then beyond that, I would say you have a lot of guys who are struggling big time and are a big part of why this D-line hasn't been that good. Shaq Lawson has been a really bad pass rusher. He's done nothing. Um, Nathan Shepard in the run game has been moved. The, guy, the offensive lines put Shepard wherever they want him to, every single game. He just explodes off the ball. He doesn't play um, – he doesn't get his hands into guys at all, and they just move him wherever they want. They hit him with whams and traps all the time, and it's so easy to run the ball against him. Um, Zuniga had the good sack, hasn't really done anything else. Ward deflected a couple passes against the Falcons. That's about it. Um, so, yeah, outside of, I think, I think Q, Foley, Frank Myers uh, no. have, have been pretty good. Right, and you don't like Shaq Lawson, clearly. Um, um, but other than, I think, the defensive line struggles have a lot to do with how bad everyone outside of those four guys have been. Right. I agree with your rankings. Um, I'm curious to think what you what what you think the Jets will do long term at defensive line because this is a position that they want to invest a lot and they want to win the trenches. So it's not absurd to think that they can pay Foley and they can pay Quinnen and you know Rankins is under contract. Obviously, they gave JFM the extension. Uh, I don't think they have to worry about Huff. actually. Do they have to resign Huff or is he on a to your deal because he was an undrafted free agent. I'm trying to – well, I don't know. I, I, I'm actually not sure if Huff is under contract. Can you look at that while I ramble on here? Um, I, I think yeah, the, they do have him for next year. Okay. So you don't have to worry about that. And the, the luxury of the Jets not having, um, you know, a ton of great players, homegrown players that they have to pay is that they have over the next few years, especially with the rookie contract, that they can put some money into this position group. I think, you know, obviously Rankins is here next year. I think long-term, I think you're right. I think JFM is a first and second down defensive end and a third down three tech. And then I think that's where you slide him in next to Quinnen and you bump Foley out. You know, at the offset of the season or the outset of the season, I thought that they would probably not have Foley return, even though he's a big locker room leader. I didn't know how he would fit in this defense, but I think Foley, like you said, is has been arguably the Jets' best defensive line. At the very least, he's the second best Jets defensive line. And he's such a leader and he's huge in the run game. So I think you have to bring him back how much do you pay him? That's a conversation for another day. And then Quinn's extensions coming up. So I'm curious to think, what do they do here? Do they try to keep JFM on the, the edge? Do you want to be paying him the amount of money you're going to be paying him for to be a rotational defensive tackle? Are you playing on the edge and then you put him inside? Do they still need another edge opposite Lawson with how well Huff has been playing? I mean, out, you know, looking to next year, how do you think this defensive line looks? And, and the years after that, how do you think they'll allocate the resources? I do think that they should extend fully. And I know it is, you know, tough to invest in four big contracts on the D line once you get Quinnen in there, but like there's going to be a huge drop off. If you let him go, even though you have all these other pieces on there, if you don't resign fully, you're going to have some random guy like Nathan Shepard playing his role. Well, John, Jonathan Marshall was, I guess, drafted in my eyes Marshall. Drafted to be the fully replacement as the run stopper. But the, the odds of him becoming as good as Foley are, are not good. You hope right. he can, but there aren't a lot of Foley's in the league. Guys who 
in this scheme, which he's proven, which was a question mark, um, can not only take up space in the run game, like he can play in this game, in this scheme, fire off the ball, just like everyone else's and create a pass rush, but he's still been able to hold his ground and read plays and stop plays. That's what the other guys aren't doing. Sheldon Rankins, Nathan Shepard, um, they're just firing off the ball, getting moved wherever, but Foley can create a pass rush and he can still play two gaps and read the play, shed blocks and defend the run. And that is really valuable. He can do a lot for this team. So I think, and also you mentioned his locker room impact. He's clearly huge there as well. So um, I think he definitely is worth bringing back. And the Jets have the flexibility to do that. They have a young secondary or young cornerback room um, that they're not going to have to pay for a while. And hopefully you have two, maybe even three starters on rookie contracts there for two, three more years. Um, they still have a lot of cap space overall. They have a lot of rookie starters on offense who will be cheap for the next few years. So they do have the flexibility to do it. And I think if you're going to, if you're going to overload in a position, um, you know, like pay a lot of people the same position, I think defensive line is a great one to do it at because they help other positions. Like your cornerbacks aren't, or your safeties aren't going to help other positions too much. Obviously it's important, but they don't necessarily, uh, supplement the production right. unless, or, unless they're top tier elite like the right Reeves unless type. they're like earl thomas or cj mosley for that matter um but the defensive line can make the jobs of everyone else right. easier through creating a pass rusher and then in this defense where the linebackers have a lot of pressure on them you need guys like foley to be able to take up space and force the running backs to be more patient and take their time so they can't just fire through the line but if you have guys like Rankins and Shepard who right now aren't doing that, that's how the linebackers' jobs get so difficult. So the guys like Foley, I think, are important to have. So I would right. consider extending him. The number is one thing, but uh, they have to definitely make that a priority. Yeah, I, I think long-term, I, I think they're going to bring in another edge, and I think it's going to be through the draft. So you get those at least four years on the rookie contract, and then you'll have to worry about probably replacing Huff down the line. But I agree. I think you have to pay Foley. You've already played or paid John Franklin Myers. You're going to have to play Quinn and you've already paid Carl Lawson. So if you want to invest in this group, I think you, you're done doling out the big contracts. You can lump Rankins in there as well, I guess, because he's getting paid next year. I think, I think they bring in another rookie and then that gives them some flexibility to play John Franklin Myers inside more um, and can, can rotate some guys out. And then I agree. I think if, if Jonathan Marshall is not going to replace fully Fonacasi at the very least. And I'd like to see that honestly this year is give him some of Nathan Shepard's reps. Cause like you said, he's been, uh, a major weak spot. All right, last one from the defense. I'm pretty sure. One, one more thing on the defensive line, and I'm curious what you uh, think of this. I think you might disagree, but I I would cut Sheldon Rankins based on the way he's playing right now. Six point three million cap hit next year. Uh, they can pretty much fully escape it. They'd have seven hundred fifty thousand dead money if they cut him. Uh, I don't think he's playing well enough to warrant that next year. If they need the money, I mean, but the Jets are in a position where they don't really need the money and it's, he's not a bad player. He's a good pass rushing defensive tackle. And I think the thing is, is that John Franklin Myers is going to take those reps uh, eventually long-term when you bring in another edge, but those $6 million, unless they're, I know Joe Douglas likes to cut guys and roll the cap over, but I think we've seen it, especially in the offensive line where he held on to guys like Greg Van Roten. I guess he brought him back. Alex Lewis, he gave the extension, but he brought him back until he retired. These are guys that I think a lot, George Fant's another one where fans immediately jump into that. 
off-season man GM mode where it's like, okay, he's not great. He's not living up to his contract. Let's cut him. But then it's like, well, you're creating another hole there. I think I think they bring him back next year unless well, he's really For horrific. me, I don't in, – in this situation, you know, in a lot of situations, it is what you're talking about. But here I think it's more the thought process of not only that, but I want to see Franklin Myers back into that role. Right, but, but then what happens if – Franklin Myers or Quinn or Foley gets injured. Like you can't ever, I think 6 million for Rankins is a fair, maybe slightly over. I, I think 6 million, when you look at the market for what he brings as a pass rusher, isn't absurd. So I, I, think, I think he's I think been he good as a pass rusher this year. This defensive line hasn't been good this year. And Quinnen's been pretty good. Franklin Myers has been pretty good. Someone has to be to Foley's been pretty good. Huff's been good. So the blame think, has to go somewhere. I think a big Rankins problem is, is a big part of it. I think Here, a big I'm, problem I'm is putting out the Sheldon Rankins criticism. Okay. I was number one critic. Okay, but I think a big problem is the edge presence. Is the Jets, like you said, John Franklin Myers isn't bendy enough to be Shaq Lawson is worse. Shaq Lawson is worse. But. Exactly. So it's like if you and obviously going to get Carl back. Let's say they draft a kid in the second round or whatever. Now you bring more of an edge presence. I think you give those interior defensive linemen, uh, you know, more opportunities to eat. Let's move on from the defensive line. Um, or else we're going to be here all day um, from at McAnally. John, when the offense is struggling, hashtag Jets Twitter was full of things they could do to fix it. Now that the defense is struggling, I haven't seen anyone talking about what they could do to fix it besides just waiting for the offseason. What do you think? Michael, I'll, I'll turn this one over to you because it, it is true that I think everybody feels like they can call an offense, but defensively it's a little harder. Um, and especially since the head coach is the defensive guy, are there things schematically they can do, personnel-wise they can do in the immediate um, to help this bleeding defense. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. First of all, let's be honest. People think they have a much better idea of off, and me included. I think we all feel like we have a much better idea of offense. And it's much easier to kind of be like run the ball more, throw the ball more, whatever, than it is for defense. But I think, like I was saying earlier, this this team is losing the chess match a lot. As much as we want to blame the players at times, the, there are just situations that they're getting placed in where it's hard to make plays when you know you're blitzing and the team calls a screen against you sometimes you just lose the battle the chess match um and that's happening a lot so i don't know if i can point to anything specific but they're just not winning those battles in terms of coaching this year do you think they have to be less aggressive i mean i don't really feel like schematically they're actually that it seems like they're just i don't think they are aggressive (laughs) it's just like the timing it's when they do blitz they get caught it feels like teams know when it's coming so right i mean maybe they I think they just have to change up their tendencies. I can't exactly point off the top of my head, like what downs are they blitzing in situations? I have to look into a little, a little bit more, but what is clear is that teams do have, whatever they are doing, teams have a very good feel for it. So I think they have to just change some things up in terms of what down are you blitzing? Um, what uh, situation in terms of yards to go are you blitzing? maybe run some more stunts to get the pass rush in a little bit more of a groove and compensate while Bryce Huff is out. Um, some things like that. So you don't necessarily have to change up the entire scheme. This is what it is. You have to run it that way. Guys have to execute it, but just some tendency breakers, I think would help them out. Yeah. Because they're trying to install a long-term program here. They're not going to get too crazy right. you know, away from what they've been doing. They're trying to install it. So these young guys get these reps and the next year they might be better. You know, I think, it is kind of funny how the Jets defense or the Jets offense is kind of uh, how you would want to beat the Jets defense. And so they practice against each other all the time. But when you think of the Jets offense, specifically with Mike White last week, the question coming into this game was, okay, he's not going to be able to take the dump off the screens. Defense is going to play more man coverage. They're going to play underneath. 
I, I think the Jets schematically don't play too much man coverage. And also it's like, you know, I think Hall has been good. Michael Carter II has been good. But Brandon Eccles, I think he's been solid, especially for a six-round rookie. But do you have the confidence in your corners and your safety to play those man coverage matchups? Um, and I, the defense is its, its main goal is to not give up the big stuff, but they are giving up the big stuff underneath and then it turns into the big stuff. So it's just maybe more man coverage. I think, like you said, I think they've done a good job in some of their delayed blitzes. You know, they can try to disguise blitzes more. They've obviously done that. Um, but man coverage is kind of the answer to this. And I don't think the jets schematically want to do too much of that. Not, not saying they don't ever run man, but this is more of a, a zone based defense. And I think they're just going to stick in what they know. I think they're going to, you know, try to attack underneath more, but it, this is just a, a reps thing uh, in my eyes and they have to get better at safety. That's a big deal. All right, let's go to the offense. Um, you know what, actually, I mean, we're gonna stick with the offense, but this is a, a bit of a, a nice break in between, obviously before the game, the jets made honestly a pretty great trade considering how, you know, generally boring the NFL trade deadline is, but from at verge zero zero one, do you guys think uh, Duvernay Tardif is a clear-cut upgrade from Greg Van Roden? And when do you think he could take over? Where are his strengths and weaknesses? Michael, I, the fact that the Jets traded Dan Brown, who honestly, I kind of forgot he was on the team. He, do, he hasn't done anything. He's, I guess, noted as a special teams guy. But like you were telling me, it's like he hasn't really even done much on special teams. He's less valuable, this is your words, than a 2024 conditional seven. So the fact that the yeah. Jets got <laughs> five-year starter, a guy who's won a Super Bowl, a guy who's not amazing, but you could argue is – just from his film on 2019 is better than GVR. I guess the questions come that he's won, not an elite guard. That's fine. But more so that he hasn't played football in over a year. Yeah. I think that's where the the question is. And look, the chiefs did give him up for Daniel Brown. Whenever this stuff happens, you know, like take Shaq Lawson, for example, I think we all felt like that was a steal that they got for a sixth round pick. Maybe there's a reason Houston is willing to dump him for that. And yeah, that interception that. against Cincinnati, which led to the win, is it's worth the, the picks we gave up for Zach for Shaq Lawson. I, I guess that's fair. But, but, but you know, the point is, you know, I, maybe he doesn't have that much left because of the time, but at least the last time he played, he was definitely better than Van Rowan, I think, has ever been and definitely is right now. Um, and that's not to say he was great, but I think he was an average, above average starter on a Super Bowl team with a great offense. Um, his pass protection numbers are above average in his career. Run blocking numbers aren't amazing, but the Chiefs actually did have a lot of success running in his direction. So um, he seems like he's another great locker room presence too. So, and, and it's also, I think, good that he waived his uh, no trade clause to want to come there. Uh, so I think he definitely would be a at least a decent upgrade, even if he is declined from a couple of years ago, should be at least a small upgrade over Van Roten. If he can be the same player, he can be a big upgrade. But um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. They got this mini bye week to ease him in, get him used to uh, get, get him used to it a little bit. Um, and, you know, it seems like based on him waiting, waving his no trade clause and what he said in uh, his statement, he said that, uh, you know, this the Jets give him his best opportunity to play. Um, maybe they are going to throw him right into the starting lineup. Uh, I don't we'll know see what happens. <laughs> I agree I said with maybe. That. I didn't maybe. say they will. It'd be – I the offensive line is playing better. Clearly, Greg Van Roten's not amazing. I think they're gonna Van keep Roten's him on the not playing better. He gave up the most. Van Roten's not game. great. I I understand that, but I don't think they're just gonna hand it to. I think they're gonna they're gonna have him active, and as soon as Van Roten sucks, I think they'll throw him back in there. I don't think they're gonna start immediately against Buffalo. I think he does start at right guard, um, in the next few weeks. But immediately, I don't think so. I think they give him some time to to get used to the system, and it is a different 
blocking scheme than Kansas City runs. So it is there's a little bit more of the mental aspect that he has to get a grasp of. But I'm excited to see him in there. You know, is he just going to be another Pat Elfline uh, who is just, you know, like you said, you're a big Pat Elfline hater. But it's like if he comes in and he's at least just competent, I think this offensive line, especially with Becton coming back, um, can take an even bigger leap in the second half of the season, which is, um, you know, really exciting to think about. All right, let's talk about the quarterbacks. we got a lot of questions on him. Um, I guess this is kind of a quarterback question from Marco BHO. They keep giving them to me. Marco Bohoy, I guess, 1986. Uh, what do you think has been the biggest reason for the better offense the past couple of weeks? Michael, I think you have been implying that it's the offensive coordinator. Is there anything else that's standing out to you? Let's actually, let's take the quarterbacks out of the equation. You can obviously touch on them a little bit, but is there anything from a um, skill position player, offensive line, or tight end that you've seen that that is a huge reason why they're playing much better. I would say the number one reason has been the after the catch play of the skill positions, specifically the running backs, Carter and Johnson. But I think it has been quarterback play. The number one reason I think the way that white and Johnson have gotten the ball out and taken the easy stuff and allowed guys to make plays is what has led to everything else. It's, allowed Carter and Johnson and everyone's skills to shine. And it's allowed LaFleur to really get deeper into his playbook, you know, get into second and short, third and short. So you can pull out trick plays, um, establish, establish success. So you can create threats that teams will respect. So then you can pull out something else as a counter when, you know, Zach Wilson was struggling and putting the team into second, third and long all the time. There's not a lot of creative things you can do to get out of that. So I think the quarterbacks have really, by doing the simple stuff, allowed everything else to shine. Um, I think even though they weren't necessarily amazing, you know, Mike White didn't make the most difficult throws in the world. And Johnson did make more impressive throws, but he also missed a few more. Um, Even if they haven't been, you know, all world amazing quarterbacks, just the consistency and the fluidity and sharpness, knowing what to do, when to do it has allowed everything to fire in all cylinders. So those two guys have played good football, I think. And what they've done to set up everything else is the primary reason the offense has been better. Do you think Ty Johnson is, you know, just playing his role and he's a fine player, or do you think he is legitimately a good running back that the Jets should keep trying to build around? Um, You know, it's clear to me that Michael Carter is this team's future number one running back. Obviously they're going to need a whole, stable of, of workhorses but do you think ty johnson is it should be a part of that in the future or do you think he's just kind of um been the beneficiary of getting these reps you know it's funny because one of the top things i think a lot of us were talking about i know i definitely was at the bye week the biggest changes they can make was less of ty johnson in the passing game less of ty johnson on third down so what did the jets do they come out the next three games ty johnson has 13 receptions <laughs> two touchdowns 176 yards so um, it, he's kind of like the third down back on this team. It's odd. Right. He's still not really a good pass blocker, but he's making a lot of great plays out in space. And I think he is showing he can have a role as that type of player because, you know, I think he does kind of struggle with vision a little bit. We've seen this year. Last year I thought it was okay, but it was sort of just, I guess, because that Raiders game, they're blocking so well. Um, but this year vision has been great. doesn't have the best change of direction, but you get him out in space and you just let him go downhill and show off his speed and his power with, you know, a clearly established lane with the ball. He's making a lot of plays. And, you know, he won on an angle route for that touchdown in this uh, Colts game, which was a new thing for him. So 
Um, last few games, he's really showing the potential to be a good piece of a running back committee. So um, if, if he can sustain what he does these, these last three games, um, then absolutely, I think there's a place for him. Yeah, I think obviously if you're going to be a third down back, you have to be able to block. And we haven't really seen that too much from him. He's, he's curious because like you said, he's not great at, at changing direction, but he's got incredible balance. I mean, you've just seen it the last two weeks with yeah. both, both right. of his touchdowns. It could have been stopped short, you know, seven yards before the pylon and he gets into the end zone both times. So I think his his hands and his balance are his, are his, and his size and speed are his biggest attributes. But like you said, the vision, the pass blocking, the ability to change direction, he's not that elusive. You know, he runs really high, whereas you can see Michael Carter runs low to the ground. He's really hard to bring down. But like you said, I think, look, he's still a young guy. I think there's a lot to develop there. And he has some clear assets um, to his game that I think, yeah, I think he's a long-term, at least part of the stable. I think next year, if the Jets bring another running back, he might be not used as much, but he's a valuable member of this running back group. And when you look at what San Francisco's done, I mean, it seems like they have a new running back every single year, whether due to injuries. It's not a position they prioritize that much. Um, they just kind of have a stable of, of running backs that just keep cycling through. And I think Ty Johnson kind of fits that mold, right? He's a guy like you put him in San Francisco. I think he would be putting up great numbers. And is he a guy who can be a workhorse every down back top 10 running back in the league? No, I think that Michael Carter definitely can, but I think Ty Johnson is, is a valuable part of this, of, of this running back. I'm just curious to see throughout the season. It's like, is this just him getting lucky here? Or is he actually, you know, a, a solid player that the jets should you know, consider part of their future? All right, from at NY Jets fan for life one. See, that was a great one. That just rolled right off the tongue. Do you think the play calling has changed because of Mike White slash Josh Johnson, or has it been the same? If they did change the play calling, is it because Zach Wilson couldn't do it? If they kept it the same, does that mean Zach Wilson just can't execute it at this point in, in time? If he can't, do you think Zach Wilson should sit for a while? So it's a bit of a loaded question there, but Michael, I'll hand it off to you first. Yeah, this is a really interesting topic. And Vitor Jets X Factors talked about it a lot and kind of caught some heat for it. Um, and he said basically that, you know, if you actually watch the film and development of the game and the concepts and everything, that things haven't been very different at all. And that it really just comes down to the execution has been better. Um, and for the most part, I do agree. I think that, you know, the base philosophies of this offense, the main concepts that they're relying on throughout the game have been pretty similar. You know, all these concepts with short curls and every, all these short throws that have been available have been there throughout the seasons just Wilson has been taking the deepest part of the concept very consistently so it feels like they're calling these deep shots but he's been taking he's been taking the deep throws the short options have been there he hasn't been taking them and I think Salah talked about uh, after the Bengals game that there was a play on that opening drive that was a shot play but it just wasn't there and Mike White took the shorter throw because that was open and that's where they got the production so I think we've just seen two different quarterbacks playing much different style than Zach Wilson was. And it's a much better fit for what the defenses have given them of the Bengals and Colts and what this offense should be doing because those shot plays will be there now and then. And that's, what's going to make Zach Wilson special. The fact that he can't hit those deep throws. He still has the third best completion percentage on 20 plus yard throws in the league this year. And that's, what's going to make him special, but he can't be doing that all the time and missing out on the easy short throws that are there. So I don't think the play calling has been drastically different. It's just we, we're seeing these two guys, these two more experienced quarterbacks, take what's open at a much more efficient rate. Um, but And then doing that, like I was saying earlier, you get to second and short, you get to third and short. And that's when you can start to be a little more creative with running screens, 
um, and running, you know, the flea flickers with Jameson Crowder and everything. Um, Cause you got to have success to create something for the opponent to respect and think you might do, or and be afraid of to run different things. You know, when you're struggling and especially when you're struggling from the start of the game, you just got to keep playing straight up football. It's hard to really fool anyone if there's nothing, if right. there's no threats established. So I think that's, it all comes down to the, the quarterback play, the smart veteran quarterback play we've gotten. And that's what's allowed the floor to be more creative as the game has gone on in terms of the, you know, the trick plays and the screens and everything. But the overall basis of the offense, I think has been pretty similar. We've just seen quarterbacks taking the safer stuff over the the deep parts of the same right. concepts. I think, yeah, the, the last point you made there, I think was a, was a really good one. I think that he is LaFleur is being a lot more aggressive passing on first down. He's passing earlier in the game. So that's a change. I like that. I think being up in the booth, he's seeing things differently. I do think it's not like they're calling different plays, but I think the time in which he's calling them, his ability to lull the defense in and hit him with the exact opposite has is, is gotten better. He's, he's utilizing yeah. more jet motion, jet sweeps, making that motion an actual threat. So guys have to defend it. Like, I think there are actionable differences in this offense, but did the scheme change completely overnight? No. I think the big thing, like you said, is taking the checkdowns, but it's not just taking the checkdowns. It's doing it in rhythm. And I think the big thing with Zach Wilson is his timing all season has been off. I mean, Mike White and, and Josh Johnson came in and they hit those checkdowns in rhythm. I think with Zach Wilson, you've seen it. He's taking too long in the pocket. He's taking too long to get off Corey Davis to go through his reads. By the time he gets the checkdown, if he does throw it, there's a linebacker right in the guy's face where I think you saw Mike White. It's when his pre-snap understanding of the defense and his post-snap processing, he's able to get through his reads, know it's not going to be there, take the check down, and he's able to hit him in stride with, before the defense has had a chance to react. That's the big difference with this offense right now. Zach Wilson is an infinitely more talented quarterback than these two other guys. I don't, I wouldn't even say that. I guess you have to give Mike White the credit. I was going to say that maybe Mike White um, doesn't even know. I was going to say that Zach Wilson's football IQ shouldn't necessarily be crapped on because I think Zach Wilson is a really smart kid. He's clearly addicted to the film. I think he, I think he's reading these things pre-snap. The big issue is that post-snap processing and that timing. He's just not getting through it. And then you're seeing more of these throws where his, his three-step his three-step drops aren't in rhythm. He's throwing off his back foot. He's throwing off platform. And like you said, like it's easy to get in a rhythm as a play caller when you're not starting three and out and you're down 14 nothing. It's like it's easy to get into a rhythm, keep the chains moving, run those creative plays. Um, I think Zach Wilson, and as far as like should he stiff for a while? No, I think you know, like if he comes in and he's bad for a few games, then you run into that whole Tua situation that the Dolphins had last year where they were benching him and putting Fitzpatrick in and then putting him back. It's just like you, that can mess with a quarterback's mental, especially in New York. But I think he's going to come back, and I think he's going to be much better from watching these two games. I, I Maybe I'm a bit of an optimist. Maybe this is Charlie Brown trying to kick the football again. But, like, I do think that you saw it with Darnold in 2018, getting, getting a chance to breathe, sit back, watch the offense. Obviously he's got Flacco and John Beck in the building. Now I think he's going to see that the beauty of this offense is you have to be in timing. It's a time-based offense. If you take those, those stuff underneath, it's going to open up the deep shots. But the thing is, is he's just looking for those deep shots every play. And it's just, it's messing up the time of the offense. So um, that's kind of a multi-layered answer there, but the, the final part is no, Zach Wilson should come back. When he's fully healthy, this Bills game's up in the air because you could argue that maybe give him another week is healthy and he doesn't have to face the Bills. But after that, he's your quarterback, and I think you're going to see a, a big jump from him. Yeah, and on the point you made about the mental aspect of it, it's interesting because I was thinking about it earlier. The Zach Wilson we saw in the preseason is basically what we're seeing these other two guys do right now. Exactly. Like, he can do this. We saw it in the preseason. And yeah, preseason is right. vanilla, whatever. 
but anyone who watched that film, Robbie's talking about it at JetX, Vitor's talking about it. Like he was making the same reads, making the same type of decisions that's making the Jets offense chug right now. Giants game, getting the ball out quick into the flat. Then when pressure came, he hit that throw, Tyler Croft. When he got hit, Packers game, you know, quick throws, getting the ball out. Right. And then when pressure came, he hit that deep throw. He's, to Corey he's, Davis. he's not comfortable yet. His mind is still spinning. Right. It, you can tell. Um, but I think I think that the few weeks off will help him. All right, from at NY Sports Guru Two, in your opinion, what would you do at QB for the rest of the season and this off season? What would you do with each of Wilson, White, Johnson, Flacco? Do you trade a future backup, sign one, keep one or more current quarterbacks? Draft a future backup. Do att- draft, sorry, do you draft a future backup? Uh, sign one, keep one or more uh, current QBs. Do you attempt to trade a pick for White or trade White for a pick? Um, your ideal scenario. Well, I think Flacco's probably out the door. I think I, I, I get, I honestly, I think you're pretty fine with Mike White and Josh Johnson. I think they both your quarterbacks in training camp. Um, they'll probably end up signing some camp arms, some undrafted free agent or something. Maybe they try to bring back, back Flacco, but you know, we'll see if we get any more of Mike White or Josh Johnson throughout the season, but I think they've proven enough that it's like, okay, they can run this offense if Wilson goes down. And I kind of like the having Josh Johnson on the practice squad. Mike White is active. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I think as soon, I think we talked about in terms of the short-term decision. I, I think whenever Wilson's ready to go, he should go. But in terms of the future, yeah, I think that both of those guys have proven they can run this offense pretty well and can be pieces for you in terms, you know, keep both of them going into next year. Um, it, it's so funny how we talked about the, one of the biggest criticisms for Douglas all off season, all into the year was backup quarterback. You didn't get a backup quarterback. And then what happens? Starting quarterback gets hurt. Your random guy who nobody likes as a backup throws for 400 yards. Then the next guy throws for over 300 yards and three quarters. So it's hilarious that this is some of the best backup play in not just Jets history, like NFL history. And it's the number one complaint we have. So it's hilarious. But I, yeah, I would definitely explore bringing back Mike White. He's a restricted free agent. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what offers he gets if he doesn't play anymore. And that's just his body of work. The, um, you know, that one game plus one quarter and also the Patriots game. Um, but yeah, I would definitely try to explore bringing both yeah, of those guys back. What type of contract do you think that is? If, if let's just assume that Wilson comes in, he plays well, doesn't get hurt again. We're all feeling pretty good. Like at the end of 2018, Darnold type of, of rookie season for Wilson the rest of the way, which would be awesome, which would be amazing. Um, what type of contract does that earn Mike White based off one game and two drives? Well, didn't Matt Flynn uh, in 2012 get a really good contract off of that one game he played with the Packers yeah, to end the season? England. Well, yeah, he played like six two. touchdowns or whatever. Well, but then he also he played a Sunday night football against New England that year, and he looked pretty good there. I don't know. I don't know if, if Mike White is going to be in that territory because the Seahawks paid Matt Flynn a ton and then obviously ended up starting Wilson. But I, th- I think he's going to earn himself a pretty solid contract, you know, like a $5 million contract. I think you give him a one-year deal, maybe two-year deal. Um, but I think he's probably going to be earned. What do you think? Like $6 million per year, $7 million? I mean, it's, uh, he's going to be a backup quarterback. And that's kind of the, the But with him, him being a free agent, what tender should they put on him? Should they put a... Well, because I don't think anyone's going to trade a first round or a second round. Uh, someone might trade a second round for him. That, uh, that's this is where the con- conversation gets in- interesting. Like, what does how far does that one game get him? Well, look, if um, the, the positive is Zach Wilson isn't healthy completely yet, and you play Mike White and he plays well against Buffalo, obviously, there's the whole nightmare like in our heads where it's like 
QB controversy. What are you going to do with Wilson? Whatever. But let's say that happens and Wilson comes back. All's, all's well. That's another game to put on the, the tape where Mike White looks good. I guess you, you could put a second round tender on him and maybe somebody will bite. Who knows? Uh, this kind of is in the same vein. So I'm curious to get your thoughts. Add Gino to a Wosu TD. Absolutely love that tag. Um, if Mike White plays extremely well versus Buffalo, just assuming he plays, uh, is he the starter until further notice or does Wilson start the moment he is 100% regardless? So hypothetical, Michael, Jets roll with Mike White. They say Zach Wilson needs another week. He's not completely healthy yet. We don't want to rush him, blah, blah, blah. Mike White comes out, Jets beat Buffalo. We catch him off guard, trap game. We play better at home. Mike White throws three touchdowns, 300 yards, whatever. Do you go back to Wilson or do you roll with Mike White? I mean, what do you think Robert Sala would do in that situation? I mean, I know I said earlier, I think talking about this exact thing, that if he plays and even if they beat the Bills, Wilson should come back 100% regardless. But just picturing it, like if that happened – it's hard to picture them going back because, you know, talking about the pressure on Wilson, then the pressure will be back because I, you know, talking about my ridiculous best case scenario thing at the beginning of this part of that, or a big part of it is that they lost the game and it takes a little bit of pressure off of Wilson coming back because they don't have a winning streak, but you know, you beat the bills. Now that pressure is back on and Mike white plays good. Um, we're right back where we you have to roll with Bengals them, right? game. So I, I think, you have to, but it's just such a tough situation because you don't really want to be in that situation where you're holding Wilson out because your backup's playing well, who probably isn't going to be your franchise quarterback. All right. Ryan Fitzpatrick is this team's season touchdown leader in franchise history. So I'll take anybody. And I think just from an outlook, you know, like if Mike White goes in and they win, I, you can't bench him because the locker room's going to be pissed. And it's like, you know, Mike White's still a young quarterback. I think you give him a chance, but I don't think that necessarily has to mean the end of Zach Wilson. I think it just means, all right, Wilson, like plenty of other top quarterbacks, he's going to sit a lot of his rookie year. You know, that wasn't the plan from the outset, but I think he read the hot hand and then you get to the off season and then maybe you have a quarterback battle or you just wait until white plays poorly at the end of the season. Then you put Wilson back in, but like, yeah, if the, the, I guess the downside of, of if you hold Wilson out is you might have to deal with that situation. But again, that's a good problem to have that the Jets haven't had. So I, you can't complain about, I have to fight that part of my brain. That's, that's hoping for the nice clean, you know, Wilson comes back. He's, he's, it's like, look, if Mike White's the guy and he comes in, he's playing great. I mean, you can't really fight that considering the lack of quarterback play that we've had. All right. Matt Kruger. Reed. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Just, just oh. to wrap this one up. Um, yeah. If, if White plays well against the bills and they win, then he should keep starting and he will. But, um, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. This is, like you said, I think it's a good problem to have for sure, especially with his restricted free agency. You know, the more he plays well, you could get another second round pick. I don't, I don't think that'd be next year's pick, but, um, but still, you know, you could get another pick out of it or you could have a good long-term backup. So it's a good problem to have. And if Wilson really is the guy, he should be able to, emerge it, through that drama you know i think it i think it is the immediate pick i'm pretty sure because i think you just get that team second round pick whoever signs him and yeah I guess I'm, I'm not 100 sure but but yeah i pretty, think all, i'm pretty like, sure it is but like you're saying like it's we we don't want the controversy it's messy it's controversial like the word suggests um it's it's not fun but it's a good this is the most important position in the game so to have multiple potentially potential franchise quarterbacks, good quarterbacks is a good thing. And if Zach Wilson 
if you're going to be franchise quarterback, there's a lot, you know, more mentally stressful things you have to get through than, you know, being a rookie and not starting a few games because your team is playing well. So if he really is going to be the real deal, I think he should be able to emerge through that. And like you said, it it's not conventional, but that is that can serve as that rookie year sitting time that a lot of rookies get, even if it is towards the end of the season after getting injured and all that, it's can still serve that purpose. So um, it's, it, this is really crazy that we're right. at this point of the year. It's been a very interesting year. It's so it's never boring around these parts. Uh, I think the other thing is like, just because Mike white plays well, and I think you're going to see this soon, it's not necessarily an indictment on Zach Wilson. Cause I think there's a chance Zach Wilson comes back and plays maybe even better, which is the best case scenario. So if you have two guys playing at a high level, you either have a high quality backup. You can have a, if they both are playing elite and Mike white wins all these games, whatever it is that you can have a quarterback competition, you could trade one for assets. It's not a bad problem to have, I guess, from outside of the media PR, um, you know, world where it's like, Oh, you drafted this kid second overall. He's not playing, whatever. It's a good problem to have if Mike white plays well. And then hopefully on top of that, Zach Wilson plays well as well. But one, one more thing on this outside of the, the <laughs> PR media aspect of it, how much do you think you know, in this scenario, white plays against bills, they win, he keeps starting. How much do you think it affects just Zach Wilson, his own mind, his own development mentally, how much of an effect negatively do you think that has on his chances of becoming franchise quarterback just for him in his own mind. I think it, I think it matters because I think a big problem with him is he's not comfortable right now. Everything's spinning too fast. He's trying to play hero ball. He's not settling in. He's not just taking what the defense gives him. I think, I think he's going to come back and learn from what's happened and take those check downs and then push the ball down the field. But you know, if, if Mike white plays really well and the jets put Zach Wilson back out there, the first, especially at home, it's like the first bad pass he throws. You're going to hear those Mike White chants. It gets in his head. It, it's just it, uh, you don't really talk about a, a player's mental health that much. But like from Zach Wilson's perspective, the amount of a pressure that he's already under, uh, yeah, it definitely matters. And I'm sure he's he seems like he's good friends with Mike White, and he's happy the team wins. But you don't from his home pers- perspective. Like if I was his family, yeah, I wouldn't want Mike White to be playing amazing because it just adds to the the stress you know at least with sam darnold when he went out in 2019 you know this is more of an indictment on gaze but we made this point where it's like you know luke fall played so horribly could barely complete a pass that it's like okay if sam darnold comes in and literally does anything if he throws for 150 yards he's already way better and you can see that he's not the big problem Which, um, and we talked about his 2018 hot start mccown was bad too when he came in Right. McCown at least moved the ball better than Luke. Like they were at least in some of those games against the Titans in New England or whatever. Um, We'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. All right. From Matt Kruger Reed. We got three more here. Once I saw a video where LaFleur jumped and hugged a lineman, Morgan Moses, I think, after the Titans win, he had to get about a foot of air to reach that height. Why is it so surprising that he's better in the booth and why did it take so long to get him up there? Well, if you listen to his his press conference uh, after the, the Colts game, he makes no he makes it very clear that that's where he wanted to be the entire time. Like he even said, you know, like a lot of times players or coaches will kind of shrug it off and be like, Oh, just doing with the team, whatever. But he makes it very clear. Like I wanted to be in the booth the entire time. Um, I, it makes sense. They didn't have a veteran quarterback. You know, they didn't even have um, I'm spacing on his name right now. Um, who's the guy they brought in to essentially take Greg Knapp. No, 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 not Calabrese. They brought another senior guy like Ka- oh, Ka- Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. Yeah, it was Kavanaugh. Um, you know, this is when they're making this decision. And it was all happened because of the green and white scrimmage. 
because LaFleur was in the booth. Zach Wilson didn't have a good practice. And a lot of people, myself included, were saying like, get LaFleur on the sideline so he can at least talk to him because that's what they do it in practice. But at this point now, it's like, now you have Kavanaugh, you already have Kyle Breeze, you now have Joe Flacco and you have John Beck. Like he doesn't need to be up there. But I, I mean, yeah, there's a photo I tweeted out of LaFleur on the sideline against New England. And he stands 40 yards away. And he's just this tiny little red circle on the, on the, the picture that I tweeted out. It's like, yeah, no, how are you supposed to see everything on the field there? I mean, how are you supposed to read accurately where coverage of the running, what's going on in the trenches, um, to see how the routes are developing? I think when you're up in the booth, you got multiple screens, you're next to a bunch of coaches, it's quieter, it's, it's more, you know, calming. And I guess if you want to find a very stupid positive to take out of this, but this was a fear of Jets fans when they hired a defensive coach, it was you know, if the floor is good, he's just going to get hired away. And then Zach's not going to have the offense. He was running, whatever that point may be. I will say doesn't bode well for his head coaching chances immediately. I'm not saying he's going to get a head coaching job this year, but Oh, if they're really good next year, maybe he'll interview for some gigs. This will be a bit of a red mark that he was struggling to call out on the sideline. So that's a positive for Jets fans trying to keep the floor. Um, <laughs> Mike, what have you thought of, of Booth LaFleur? Is there really that much of a difference? I, I do think so. I definitely think there is. And the the picture you put out, put it into perspective. It's just hard to do. And and there are a lot of guys who succeed doing it. Andy Reid, um, you know, take pick your guy, Sean McVay. But he's used to Kingsbury. it. He's not, he's, he's not a first year exactly. coordinator. Right. Like <laughs> right. Michael. So it's not an impossible pa- thing to do. But like you're like you're saying, for him to be a rookie, I think you do want to be up there because he's never done it before. He's not, um, it's not even that he's, he's never called plays before. Like there's a passing game coordinator who is regulated to the booth and now you're putting him on the sideline, which is new. He's calling plays, which is new. He's got a young team and rookie quarterback. Like it makes sense. Um, I don't necessarily think it was the wrong move to put him down there initially. Though. I don't think the Jets should be flamed for that. I think they could have moved him up maybe a week earlier, but I think it was appropriate at the start of the season. You didn't have the veterans around, put him on the sideline. Okay. He's not doing as well. Put him back up to the booth. Like I like that they were adjusting to the situation. Yeah, I think they deserve a lot of credit for the whole thing. Putting him down there in the first place made sense because they needed someone there for Wilson, and then it wasn't working. They got more minds onto the sideline with Flacco and Beck, so they put him back up there. I think that shows good adaptability, and that's something we talked about to Robert Sala when he was hired, that ability to adapt and be malleable, make those changes. Um, So it's something they deserve credit for, and hopefully that uh, continues that success continues uh, as the season goes on with him up there. I think it's definitely a positive. All right. Two more for Matt uh, NY sports guru two again. Um, he says three changes you'd make to this team to give us more success next season, players, coaches, anything, Michael, I'll start with you. Three changes. Um, can a change be an addition or does it have yeah. to be altering something? Well, an addition is altering something. All right. So I guess the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Here are three three changes get a good tight end get a good right guard third one is hard i don't know those come to mind immediately um i'll kick it over to you those are my two let me think of another one all right i think the first one like you're i I think you'd be aggressive at tight end i think you bring in two tight ends and not just one bomb and one rook like i think you'd be aggressive you sign a, a good free agent and you draft one fairly high like i think that is a big emphasis for this team is they got to get better at tight end or maybe it's uh, a big tight end and you bring in a full like just fullback to replace west whatever it is they need more out of that tight end fullback spot so i bring in two guys i bring croft back like i really try to infuse that position with talent i think the other one is yes you add another stud 
on that offensive line. You know, McGovern seems to be playing better, but I don't think, I think, I think it's center. I think it's, you, you probably keep McGovern on the team, maybe try to play him a right guard. He's depth, whatever it is. Um, but I think a center, this team has a good history of centers between Mawai and Mangold. If you get an elite center you got Becton, AVT, a great center who's kind of commanding the whole unit. I think that's, that's a big step for this team. And then at right guard, maybe you have McGovern and then you roll, uh, you know, I guess another year with fan Moses, unless you want to really go in and, and push that offensive line over the head, the end. Uh, and then the third one, I was going to say, um, add another edge high, you know, like one of those first round draft picks, take an edge. Um, but I could also be kind of convinced that being aggressive at safety, not necessarily with the first round pick, but it, you know, in the second round or whatever uh, is a big, I'll stick with edge. I'll say use one of the first on an edge. Those are my three things. I'm trying to be bold here, but safety is unequivocally a huge need on this defense. It's getting overlooked. Yeah. I'm actually going to agree with you. Um, there are some good, really good free agent safeties next year. Jesse Bates, Marcus Williams. Um, right. Obviously yeah. they could be May's tight, not coming but... back. Amazing. Um, a 29 year old safety struggling off an Achilles injury. Like when is he going to be healthy? Like it's a tough business, but I don't think May's coming back. Yeah. So how, how about this? I would say tight end. I would say interior offensive line. I think you're on the right track. If you can get a really good center and move McGovern over to right guard, I think like, I agree with what you're saying. If you can, I'd rather get a big time center than right guard just because right. of that communication aspect. And I think McGovern could play guard. Do you, well. do you think Moses and Fant are fine for another year of tackle? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, okay. I think and they Moses, got a Doga. Hey, a Doga didn't look horrible either. Yeah. Um, but I think Moses is kind of a fringe backup starter talent at this point. I honestly, honestly do his pass protection this year has been shaky run blocking really good, I think, but, um, I, I, he's a good backup. I would prefer fan to start. We'll see if he converts it, but anyway, um, you know, if you can get a center, that'd be great. Either center or right guard, one more big time O-line starter tight end. And then third, I would say, um a back end defensive playmaker either linebacker safety or even corner if you can get another great corner absolutely you should go ahead and do it so um i i, I think that should be the three those should be the three priorities tight end big time interior line big time back end defender i like it i, I don't i don't necessarily disagree with that last one i'm just gonna say if they get a nice elite edge though that defensive line i think really takes the next step um, and Hey, they have, as we said, they have plenty of assets to fill all these needs. Um, this is the, the off season where the jets kind of can go all in, you know, in the past few off seasons, you've seen Douglas be very frugal because it's like, you can't fill all your needs in one off season. This off season, the jets can definitely fill all their major needs. You know, like they may have to have a George Fant, Morgan Moses, right tackle combo again, but that's not a major need for this team. I think they have enough chips to fix tight end, fix right guard slash center. You get another edge add another corner to safety, whatever. They have enough assets to do that. All right. Last one. This is our most important one from at Andrew golden underscore 17. You're stranded on an Island. and can only take one other jets X factor team member with you. Can't say each other who you taking. Uh, this one's easy for me. Joe blew it. Joe, he yeah, seems resourceful. I think you sold my answer. <laughs> what, where'd this you write it down? I, I didn't write it down. Oh, okay. So how would I have stolen that? It's a, it's easy. Joe blew it. I mean, like, the man, look, I mean, he, he just strikes me as kind of a Bear Grylls type of guy. I feel like he'd be pretty resourceful. Um, I think I think we could survive with Joe Blewett. I mean, I don't know about – I think the worst guy you could be stuck in that island with would be Sam Cernick. Sam Cernick. Yeah, I think, I think I'd be dead within five hours after listening to him talk. I'm just kidding. We love Sam. But, you know, 
Uh, by the way, I think he's number one in fantasy football this year in the Jet X Factor League, and I'm number two right now. I'm a win behind him. Michael, you and I play this week. You're actually the worst team in the league. Yep, I am in last place. <laughs> you have three players currently starting who are on buys. Um, <laughs> you might want to fix that head coach. Um, I'm coming for Sam Cernick in that fantasy football league. I'm going to win the whole thing. So that's my message. I'm not kissing any rings, Sam. But Joe Blue is the obvious answer. All right, I think that's it. Michael, anything else you want to add? Um. Actually, this is a random thing, but I think Dallas Goddard is a really um, ideal free agent for them to get next year. I think he box well. I think he – are you disagreeing? No, I'm saying no way he gets out of it. They just traded Zach Ertz. It's like they, they kind of had to make a choice. It seems like they chose Goddard. I don't think Goddard gets out of there, so I'm not getting my hopes up again. If, if it's another Carl Lawson situation where he, where he slips free, then absolutely. But – I think with free agents that the initial class of like what it looks like in January is a lot different than the actual class that it's the market. So I think God is one of those it's guys. It's probably like 50% of the top 20 guys. Yeah. And hey, maybe, the maybe they can't afford it. Maybe, maybe Goddard doesn't like Philly, whatever it is, who knows? Like Denzel Mims. <laughs> like Denzel Mims. That's right. Um, all right. I guess, I guess. We're, oh, last thing. White jerseys, black pants. Woody Johnson has to be reading my Twitter. That's two times now in the last month. Yep. <laughs> I have tweeted out about the uniforms and they've made an adjustment midweek. So, uh, I mean, I, I think MYJ matters. That is, a lot that of is not a coincidence at all. Against the Patriots, they announced wide on green. Now, granted, a lot of people were going against this one, so I can't take full credit, but it was a big tweet. Got a lot of retweets. I said wide on white it should be the full away combo, you know, like it was during the Rex series, whatever. Got a lot of retweets. Bang. Next day, they're going to white on white. I was like, all right, that's a coincidence. This time on Sunday after the Jets game against the Bengals, I was like, white on black against Indy. Let's see it. They announced it. And you could tell that photo they released with Barrios. That was an edit because one, he had the white socks on. You could, if you zoom in, you could see that, that those pants are painted over in, um, you know, uh, Photoshop. So this was not a planned out thing. This was, this was a Jets Twitter um, push. I think the last push we have to make, I think that's anything after this, the uniforms get a little dicey. Black jerseys, green pants. I was very skeptical. The stripes don't necessarily match, but you see that that uh, graphic Jedi put out. I think that could be our cleanest look. So, what were your yeah. thoughts on the on the white jerseys, black pants? Yeah, I, I was a fan of it. I I think and I know you disagree. We were talking about this, but I think it w- works best in settings like that one because this was a night game. I know it's inside. But the Colts have big windows, so the the light does shine through. Um, but I think it's good in night settings like that where you know the helmet will look black in dark settings. So I think it matches the black pants pretty well. And you have that sort of synergy going. And it might not be as good in a day set day setting where the helmet's Disagree. like a bright green, but uh, that's my take on it. But I do like it. And I think it should be the, the primary road look over white on green. Well, I think white on white should be the primary road look. I think you sprinkle in some white on black, you can throw in the white on green there. I think they just got to get funky with the uniforms. A lot of people don't like them. It's like, all right, might as well just start mixing up the combos. Um, all right. That's that's it for our um, Jets fashion two-minute drill. All right. Uh, I guess we'll get out of here. You can follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter, Michael, Michael underscore Nanny, and myself, Ben W. Blessington. Go to JetsXFactor.com for the best place to go for Jets content. We'll have a podcast some point during the week to preview the Bills game. We'll be back on that Monday to talk about it. So be on the lookout for that. Michael, anything else? Um. Should I come up with another random topic to extend this? No, another it's more of minutes? a sta- it's no, more of a state. Well, okay, what is the topic you're about to say? But it's supposed to be a statement. Well, I was gonna say that I think the Ravens uniforms, the way they use it, is very similar to what the Jets can do because they have the same set. They have white, right. they have their primary purple, and they have black, and they 
makes everything. I think they've done every single combo. Is, was it, is so. it a fever dream or did they wear like gold pants at one point? And like they did. I, it was a long time ago. I'm not sure when it was. I know. A, I know they did though. That was oh, ugly, there it is. Oh god, that is like the that might be the worst uniform combo I've ever seen. Second worst after those Jaguars color rush. The all gold. If you want to call I, it gold, I think I think these are worse. Oh my! Look up, look up Ravens gold pants and see these atrocious. This is the worst combo I've ever seen. But I think you're right. I think the Ravens are a good, good uh, team to look at when you're modeling your. I, I don't hate that. <laughs> you hate you don't. I don't. Okay, well, that, uh, that makes me severely question <laughs> my thoughts in the Jets uniforms because they've been influenced by you. You don't hate this look? All right, I'm gonna put out a poll. I would tweet out this photo. I'm going to ask people to give their thoughts. Like, look at their black on green look or their black and white or their, every other look is way better. Oh my, it just looks like people made this joke about the Jets this week, but it really does look like in Madden when you just make, it looks like they took like some 1950s throwback uniform pants and stuck it on their current uniform. That's awful. I'm sorry. That's horrible. Also the Ravens were around in 1950. So, all right, let's get out of here. Everybody. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Enjoy your Sunday. Jets free football. We can enjoy that. No win or loss. We don't have to talk about Thursday. Uh, this week's going to be very interesting. Michael, you're going to be at practice. So lots to look out for. Mike White, Zach Wilson, who takes the reins on Sunday. Um, be on the lookout for our podcast Thursday, Friday. Uh, with that, we'll get out of here. Thank you.